We're going to jump into chapter 7 this morning. Before we do, I'm going to have you do a cross-reference. Last week, we we were opening the seven seals, right? So this is the second cycle that happens in the book of Revelation. You got seven sevens, second cycle. And um, as these as these seals are broken open, uh, we see the white horse and the red horse and the black horse and the pale horse ride, all intending to do what? To destroy uh, man, to, to, to actually separate the souls of people from Jesus Christ, okay? We get to the sixth seal, and something significant happens as the sixth seal is broken. Uh, you, you hear these words on chapter 6, verse 12. He says, Behold, a great earthquake. The shaking of the world happens. The sun becomes black like sackcloth. The moon like blood. The stars of the sky fall to the ground like a fig tree shedding its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The, the sky vanishes like a scroll that's being rolled up. Well, these words are really taking us to the very end of the world, right? So with that sixth seal, what we're saying is after the, the, after the tribulation, after the, the pain that comes with these horses riding, there will finally come the end when this world is rolled up like a scroll and destroyed and then a new earth is remade. These words are in Revelation, but they shouldn't be odd to us because they, they also are in uh, the Gospels. Uh, Jesus spoke to this. I just want you to see this before we move on to chapter 7. Turn over with me to Matthew chapter uh, 24. I've got it up here, Matthew 24, verse 29. And, and realize that as John's hearing these words, they're not new to him. Jesus has already said, this is what's going to happen as the tribulation comes to an end and the world uh, ends. So Matthew 24, beginning verse 29. Um, just look at it with me. It says, immediately after the tribulation of those days. Okay? So if you look at the context here, uh, what Jesus has been talking about is, is this answer to the question, you know, what, what's it going to look like uh, when, the, when it comes to an end? Right? And so he's been t telling them. Here he says, after the tribulation of those days. Well, what we believe is we are living today in that period that you could call the tribulation. Right? All tribulation means is the shaking, right? And, uh, and it's going on in our world today as we see more and more evidence. He says, after those days, the sun will be darkened. Uh, the moon will not give us light. The stars will fall from the heaven. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds. Keep that word in your head. He will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. All right? So Jesus has already talked about this. He says there's coming this day when the sun is done, the moon is done, the stars are done. Uh, and the Son of Man comes, and the trumpet is blown, and the elect are gathered up from the four uh, corners of the earth. All right? So what's happening in, in, in Revelation is, is not new. He's, it's simply a repeat of, as the sixth seal is broken, what Jesus has already said is going to come. When you get to chapter 7, the question is, flip back over to, to uh, Revelation. The question is, what's going on with us? So we're... 
we're Jesus followers living in this tribulation time. What's going on with us? Okay. And un unfortunately, a lot of eschatological teaching, end time teaching, tries to take, take the followers of Jesus Christ and uh, somehow remove them from the earth during the tribulation. Okay. Um, if, you, if you remember this book series, Left Behind, that uh, was produced now a number of years ago. It kind of starts off with that, right? That, uh, that moment called the rapture when we're all sucked up off of the earth if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and now everybody who's left behind has to live through this tribulation period, okay? Uh, always interesting to me that um, when you read that book and other similar books to it, um, you have adults being sucked up and you also have children being sucked up, right? So you have pregnant women who are no longer pregnant because their babies got sucked up. And the idea behind it is, well, God's going to protect um, people from this tribulation. Well, I think chapter 7 answers that question this way. Yeah, yes, but no. Does God protect us? Yes. But, but not by sucking us off of the earth, but by doing what? By giving us everything that you will need to go through the tribulation, to give you hope, to give you faith, to give you strength, and to give you a clear word that allows you to look at what's going on in your life. Listen, John was under persecution, right? Christians are dying in this period of time. But they're going into the Colosseum and they're singing hymns. Why? Because they know this is, this is God has given us faith. You can, you can take my physical life, but my soul belongs to him. I know how this ends, right? And so that's, that's really what God has given us to go through the tribulation. So no matter how bad it gets, you know, my, my dear wife, I always, she, I'll get in trouble for this today. But uh, <laughs> she says, now, now Luke, it really, she says, if, if the government tells you you've got to do these marriages and you tell them no, they'll, they'll put you in jail. And I'm like, visit me. <laughs> and she's like, she's like, I don't want you to go to jail. And I'm like, I know, but just visit me. And I'm like, it'll be fine. Uh, whenever they put Paul in jail, he would be like, I can't believe it. I've hit payday. payday. And people would be like, well, you're in jail. He's like, yeah, there's a lot of unbelievers in here. This is awesome. <laughs> I, can't, I can't think of a better place to be than jail. You know, it's why the Romans, they could not stop the guy. They're like, what is wrong with this guy? Now he's leading all these people to Jesus in jail. That's exactly right. So, but that's what I mean is, is God's, God doesn't suck us off the earth and say, okay, now I'm going to protect you. You don't have to go through this. No, we go through it. Together we'll go through it. And we'll go through it in faith and we'll go through it with prayer and we'll go through it no matter what happens to us. What's the worst thing someone can do to you? Kill you. So what does Paul say? To live as Christ, to die? That's gain. That's even better. That's That's wonderful. Which would you like? Do you want to live or do you want to die? I don't know. I'd like to live. That's Christ because I'm going to give my life to But dying, that looks really good. Now, our world doesn't think that way. That's what God has given us is the ability to see life for what it is and to know that our lives, if you live to be 150, which I guess probably won't do that, but it's a puff of air in history, right? So, uh, now, what is going on with the Christians during this. There's, 
as we begin chapter 7, there's kind of a stop. We've, we've opened six seals. Stop. We're not going to open the seventh seal until I, until I show you something. We call that an interlude. We've been through this one other time. Okay? The interlude is now where we're going to stop and we're going to take a look at what's going on with the Christians right? during this tribulation period of time that ends with the trumpet. And so we're going to actually take a look at this interlude from chapter 7 all the way through the fifth verse in chapter 8. Then we'll open the sixth seal, or the seventh seal, okay? So it's almost like a little bit of a timeout. And, and I, I personally believe that when you read the Revelation, you have to kind of put, put on the shoes of John. And um, it's hard to imagine seeing all of this, right? But John is a human being. He's still a human being. Yes, he is an apostle of Jesus Christ, but he's a human being. And there are these moments where God in his grace just says, okay, John, do this with me now. <sighs> just breathe. It's okay. Because what you're watching is so horrible to watch that you're saying to yourself, stop, stop this movie. I don't want to see this anymore. John, just hang on now. Just breathe. I'm in control. And that's really what you see happening here with uh, chapter 7. Let's go into it. It says, uh, after this, okay, so af after I saw this sixth seal open, I saw now four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. Uh, numerologically, four is always that number that represents everything that's going on on planet earth. It's why, by the way, we had the four horsemen because they are riding throughout the whole of the earth, right? Now we see four angels. They're standing at the corners of the earth, and they're doing something significant. It says they're holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. These angels are performing a function. They're, they're now holding back, okay? I want you to kind of get that picture in your mind because um, during the tribulation period, uh, throughout it and before it, there's this sense in which God boundaries, puts boundaries up that prevent, that prevent Satan from, from doing things to us. Satan's on a leash. He can't kill you. He cannot kill you. He does not have that authority. Not right now. Now, a time and a time and a half a time. When the half a time comes, Satan is released on this earth as never before. And we're going to see that. And it will be devastating. Okay? He's on a leash today. So are the four winds. So are the horsemen. Everything's on a leash. In other words, nothing can happen that happens on planet earth except under God's authority. And so this, there's a holding back. There's a God who says, if I wanted to, just like that, I could let go of the whole thing and boom. But I'm not. I'm holding it back. I think that's part of God's gracious character. That he would say, for the sake of my people, I hold back the winds. Now, in this case, there's an intention here. I want you to hold back until something happens. All right? Now, this is kind of interesting. This is all just, it's all just kind of a symbolic picture for us. Why are they holding the winds back? 
Well, look at verse 2. It says, Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. Okay? So why are you holding these winds back? Why are you leashing them? Because something needs to happen, and this angel rises up, and he's telling you immediately what's getting ready to happen. He, he holds the, the signet seal of God in his hand. Okay. Now, what does that mean? What is, it, what is a seal? When we talk about a seal, it's a symbol, right? It's a picture um, that if we were living in, in these times we would recognize has to do with ownership, authority, right? So when a king would send out a decree or um, a governor would send out uh, a decree or papers, the way you know that that comes from the king or from the governor is what? Is they would take that and they would stamp it with their seal. Seal it shut. This comes to you under the authority of the king or the governor. All right? So when you see this angel rising up, he's holding the seal of God. Uh, that seal represents what it means to belong to God. All right? So if I stamp it, whatever I stamp, that belongs to God. That's owned by God. Okay. He cries out to these four living angels who notice, notice what they have, have a power. This is kind of scary. He says, He called out with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and the sea. Okay. And this kind of gets it's kind of screwy in our minds. We're thinking, now, wait a minute. A angels, angels are servants of God, right? They're put here on earth to do what? To protect, to serve people, to serve us. But here, it actually indicates that the angels have the power to do what? To carry out God's, we've been calling it, alien work. You see it already in Genesis. God creates this world. Man sins against God, and God puts a curse on his own world. When we talk about God, when we talk about this from just a, I'm turning on my TV, living this thing out standpoint, we'll tend to, we'll tend to kind of undercut this. We'll say things like, well, you know, yeah, that, that volcano, God allowed that to happen. Or that tornado happened, God allowed that to happen. The, those, those people all got murdered, God allowed that to happen. Well, there's some truth to that. There are, there's a, a lot of things that happen in our world where God says, under my authority, I allowed that to happen. But if you go back to Genesis 3, oh, no, 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 God caused that to happen. We, you don't have earthquakes. You, you, don't, have, you don't have floods. You, you don't have any of that stuff until God does what? Curses his own earth. What's the purpose of it? Don't you look at God and say to yourself, well, God, what's wrong with you? Why would you put these things, why would you cause that? God says, I cause it because I love my people. What? You're telling me you're causing these things to happen because you love your people. That's exactly right. I love them so much, here's what I know about them. If, if I don't cause any of that to happen, 
what just happened in the garden will happen over and over and over and over again. Men will try to become God. When I cause these things to happen, guess what men do? Crumble to their knees and realize they're not God. I can't stop that. I can't change that. I can't fix that. I need you, God. That's where I want you to live. It's the purpose for it. So what looks very strange to us, these four angels who have the power to harm the earth, is actually of God as an act of love in this world during the period of time called the tribulation to bring people to him. It just looks strange to us. It doesn't make sense. It's an alien work of God done out of love for his people. Now, here's the good news. What he says to these four angels is this. He says, do not harm, verse number three, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until. Okay, this is why we have this time out. I'm, I'm describing to you the tribulation, which, by the way, historically began when Jesus Christ was born. And historically will conclude when Jesus Christ returns again. So before that, Here's what, here's what John is being able to see, seeing what happens in the heavens before the tribulation actually even begins. Hold the four wings, winds back. Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we do this. Until we seal the servants of our God on their foreheads. Until we seal the servants of our God on our foreheads. I'm going to put this into my own very, very simplistic words, and then I'm going to take us to a cross-reference so that you can see it. Here's what's happening is, is you're going back in history to this period of time prior to Christ's birth. And what, what, what's happened is the time is done. Remember, this is how you tell time in Revelation. There's a time and a time and a half a time. The time is the Old Testament period. That's done. And a time. That's the New Testament period. That's where we are right now. Before this time began, at the conclusion of the first period of time, what we call the Old Covenant, the Old Testamental period, hold back the winds until I have sealed those who belong to me on their foreheads. To seal them is to do what? I'm marking them as belonging to me. I'm giving them what? Faith. Before this tribulation begins, I know what my people need to get through it. I will give them faith. I will give them the Spirit of God who will live within them and will take them through this period of time. Now, there's an Old Testament uh, reference that I want you to look at that as John is hearing these words, no doubt came to his mind. Okay? And it's kind of interesting. Why the forehead? Why the seal on the forehead? Go back in your, your Old Testament to the book of Ezekiel and find chapter 9 in Ezekiel. In Ezekiel, you have this prophet who's speaking to Israel during a time of apostasy when Israel has strayed away from God. And what's getting ready to happen to Israel is Israel will be invaded by a foreign army who, please listen to this, who God chooses and causes to come against Israel. The Israelites are always saying to themselves, why would you do this, God? 
Why would you cause an army to come against us? Why would you empower them to defeat us? You know that you could, just like that, overcome any army. Remember, remember Moses? Did any army stand against Moses? Nope. They got the Ark of the Covenant. Guess what? No army. So God, why would you let this army come against us? God says, because I'm calling you back to myself. Same thing. The alien work of God to come against his own people to bring them to their knees. Now, before that invasion of Israel, before Babylon comes and smashes Israel to the dirt, God does something interesting right here in chapter 9. Just read it with me. He says, Then he cried in my ears, this is Ezekiel talking, with a loud voice saying, Bring near the executioners of the city, each with his destroying weapon in his hand. And behold, six men came from the direction of the upper gate, which faces north, each with his weapon for slaughter in his hand. And with them was a man clothed in linen, and a writing case was at his waist. And they went in, and they stood beside the bronze altar. Guess who those seven figures are? Angels. With the weapons of God. Getting ready to do war against Israel, who has become apostate. Now, this is what he says. Verse 3. Now, the glory of the Lord God of Israel has gone up from the cherub on which it rested to the threshold of the, of the house. Talking about the temple. And he called to the man clothed in linen, the one who had the writing case at his waist. And the Lord said to him, Pass through the city through Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of all the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed in it. He's saying to the man in linen, the angel, who has the writing instrument, Book of Life, I want you to go and put a mark on the forehead of all the people you see who are in the temple, and when they see the abominations against God, they go, oh, God, no. They're the faithful ones. Put a mark on their forehead. Now, this is really kind of interesting. If you read this in the Hebrew language, the word mark is tau, which is the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and which, by the way, resembles, in the Greek, this letter right here. Put that mark on people's foreheads. Now, here's what's interesting about this. Years later, this is who is born. Christ. He's literally saying to the angels, put the Christ mark on the foreheads of all those who sigh in the abomination of the temple. These are the ones who belong to me. Now, notice what he says. Just, just kind of finish it out. He says, to the others, he said in my hearing, pass to the city after him and strike your eye. Do not spare. You shall show no pity. Kill old men outright, young men and maidens, little children and women, but touch no one on whom is the mark. And begin at my sanctuary. 
So when John is hearing this um, and, and watching these angels being called to hold back the four winds until the mark can be placed upon them, this scene is in, is in his mind. That there's been in history a time before when God did what? Destroyed those who are outside of the faith, but marked those who were in the faith. And guess what? That same thing is happening here in the Revelation is receive this mark on the forehead that you belong to Jesus Christ. Now, is it a literal mark? If I look at you? No? No, it's not a literal mark. What is it? It's faith. It is within you. It is what God places within you, the, the, the gift of faith that is what? Protected constantly by the Spirit of God who lives within you and who will see you through the tribulation. <clears throat> Last thought, and then I want, I'm going to give some time to Curtis here this morning. How many people are there that receive this mark? Well, here's what it says. 144,000 of them. If we were Jehovah's Witnesses today, we would say that's a literal number. Nothing in chapter 7 is literal, not one thing. It is all meant to be symbols that tell us what God is doing. Why 144,000? Well, do you notice what's coming next? We're going to actually name the tribes. There's 12,000 from each tribe. 144,000 is simply 12 12s. Here's how you interpret that symbolically. You would say that God is going to mark on the forehead or mark as a under his authority, belonging to him, the exact number of people who he has chosen to spend eternity with himself. That's what he's going to do. Before I unleash the four winds and the four horsemen upon the earth, I already know all of those who belong to me. I will give them faith. Faith will get them through. All right, let's stop there for today.